0: Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from somewhere in the western half of Canada. Episode 73. Priorities. Once upon a time, I was a monogamous crafter. I chose a project I wanted to complete, purchased the kit, it was usually a kit, and then worked on it until it was finished before starting something new. I started off as a cross-stitcher, which might have helped with this tendency. Part of the joy of cross-stitching is creating a picture with thread and seeing it appear on the fabric. There are also many more cross-stitch kits available from a variety of retailers than there are kits for knitting and crochet. But once I started discovering kitless cross-stitch, things changed. I collected patterns, I began buying skeins of floss, I learned about dye lots, sometimes the hard way, and I began to get a stash. When I started crocheting, I began the same way, but progressed much quicker into stash territory, having already cleared that mental hurdle with cross-stitch. And while I might have made many, many placemats from the pattern that was my first crochet kit from Mary Maxim, I only did four with the yarn from the kit, and most of the others with yarn purchased at big box stores. With knitting I went the same way, purchasing a kit for a blanket knit from the center out yes, I was that crazy, or really just a beginner, and then buying yarn for other projects. It was with knitting that I became non-monogamous with projects. The never-ending Afghan of doom earned that moniker for a reason. My learning curve with knitting was steep, and I spent my first year twisting my pearls and hating the garter stitch sections of the blanket so much I avoided them as much as I could. By the time I actually finished it, I had learned to knit socks, cables, and lace, not an insignificant feat. Yet during that time it was always sitting there, the elephant in the room, whispering softly, You know, I was supposed to be your first knitting project. When are you going to finish me? And eventually, despite the siren call of new projects, I prioritized working on it until it was finished. I am now at a point in my fiber arts career where I can't really imagine being project monogamous. The idea of devoting myself solely to one project until completion is baffling. If I'm working on a blanket, what am I supposed to carry in my purse? If I'm working on a complicated lace shawl, what can I do when I'm mentally exhausted? If I'm spinning for a project, can I still knit something else? Or would I have to spin the yarn and make the project immediately after, with nothing else in between? The thought makes me shudder, but it is also how I have arrived to where I am today. Currently, I have an impressive stash six spinning projects on the go, six knitting projects in various stages of completion, and several cross-stitch projects of various vintages. But once again, I have reached the point of whispering projects, demanding to know when they will reach the top of the priority list, stopping me from casting on or even looking for new projects until a few of them are completed. I've been thinking about this a lot lately because it seems to me my crafting life has become reflected in my actual life as well. I'm about to start a part-time job in the next week or so. I continue to manage my partner's office. I'm in the throes of master spinner marking, still. I'm in discussions with a friend to ghostwrite his book, and I have a full list of articles to write for the local newspaper, and that's just for the next two weeks. I still have two spinning article proposals floating out there in the ether, and in some ways I both dread and wish that they both will be accepted because then I'll have an excuse to sit and do some spinning work that I want to do in between all the other things I have to do. And this is where priorities come in. Multitasking only works when the activities are conducive to being worked on at the same time. For example, listening to an audiobook and knitting is an excellent use of multitasking. It is not, however, possible to mark skeins and write articles concurrently, Or, rather, it might be possible, but both tasks would be completed quite poorly. So, if I'm to get the things done that I need to get done, I have to make a list of priorities, and I have to stick with them until they're finished. I have to be fairly task monogamous now, because my load has reached that point, much like my project load has. And the other thing I'm going to have to learn, as difficult as it will be, is to say no. To say that I do not have time until some other things are completed. To ask people to come back in a week or a month to check in with me again. To not automatically say yes because I have the skills even if I do not have the time. After all that tendency is one of the things that contributed to my stress injury which occurred almost one year ago now. Just like in my fiber arts where I am not even really looking seriously at anything new I have to put a halt on taking things on in my life until I can achieve equilibrium again. The holiday break is coming, and with it some time to catch up on certain things, fiber arts and life-wise. I won't spend it all working. There will be a good deal of rest as well, but crossing some of the tasks off the list will also go a long way towards helping my brain away from that state of overwhelm. And perhaps my goal for the new year should be to maintain a good equilibrium of projects and tasks, one where I never feel like I'm bored, but also where I never feel like I'm so far behind I won't get caught up. As New Year's resolutions go, I think that's one that will make the biggest impact on my life. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. I'm going to spend the rest of 2019 really prioritizing things. And not just in the way that I said in my essay either. The reason this episode is a day or two late, depending on when I finally get it edited and up, is because we were out of firewood. And Sunday was really the only day that we had to go and get it, especially because my my leg has been acting up a little bit the last few few days. It was feeling better on Sunday, so out we went and got a whole load of firewood. And that was super important because it's, you know, coming up on winter solstice, and our primary heat source is wood heat. And we were really scraping the bottom of the barrel here the last few days. so So yeah, I've been thinking a lot about priorities over the last little while in a lot of ways but one of those priorities is still taking care of myself and still doing the things that I enjoy doing so I went to guild on Tuesday and I carted up a little bit of uh, the neppy cotton that I talked about in the last episode uh, together with what is it says so it said silk waste but it's I think it's combed Tessa silk noil and uh and you know just grabbed approximately 5% of what was there uh, from, from each of the, the different fibers and carded it up. And I really, really was not sure it was going to work. That cotton was amazingly neppy. If you go onto my Facebook page, you'll see a picture of the punies, and I wasn't sure that that stuff was gonna stay in, but it did. It really did. The The silk made a really good carrier for the uh, for the cotton and the cotton because of course the the neps will not draft they'll just sort of stick out there but there was enough loose cotton on on the edges of the neps that they are solidly in that yarn they are not coming out and it's a really interesting texture and it's got a really good feel so I I just did a quick ondean ply of two of the punis that I made and um, took it back and washed it and it looks really good. So tomorrow I'm going to go back to guild. I still have about five more punies to play with and I'll spin up a couple more and then I'll chain ply it to see how it might look as a three ply, because it is quite fine. And yeah, just, you know, talk to the members of the guild and, and see what they think about, first of all, is this usable yarn for something? And second of all, if they think it's worth my time to spend carding up a hundred grams of this. I only carded up about five grams. So, you know, multiply that by 20 and uh, and I'll have the whole thing carded up. Or maybe we can throw it on the drum carder since it's already neppy, but that's harder for punies. So could we do the first two passes on the drum carder? And then I can hand card it for poonies. Like there's 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 a lot of variables here. I'm not 100% sure about the drum carter. Simply because of how... Like, even when I was hand carding it, a lot of those neps stayed in the hand cards. Like not a, not a significant percentage, but significant enough. So if we did do it on the drum carter, it'd be hell to clean afterwards. So there's another thing to think about. So we'll go through that tomorrow uh, and figure out whether or not this is actually a good project. And if it's not, there's tons of other fiber there that I can play with without any issues. But I really did enjoy it. And I, I really did like the yarn when it was done. So, I mean, I would just have to sit and think about what would be a suitable end use for this yarn, which of course, being through the master spinner program, that's something that we do all the time for every yarn we spin. What does the suitable end use for this yarn? One of the ladies that was there last week said, a woven scarf, something with an open texture. I think that's pr- that's a really good idea. As an uh, I knit and crochet, obviously, so I'm thinking more along those lines and it might be worthwhile sampling with it. The other thing we talked about was actually throwing it in dye, which would be very interesting because of course it's silk and cotton. So if we dyed it with acid dyes, the silk would take, but the cotton wouldn't. If we dyed it with fiber reactive dyes, the cotton would take and the silk would likely not. So we could get some really interesting colors going on with it too. And if I have a hundred grams of it, you know, I haven't figured out the yardage yet because I don't know what ply structure we're going to use, then, you know, we could, we can dye pieces of it in different colors or do a gradient or something with it. There's so many possibilities and this, you know, This is what I love about fiber arts. So many possibilities from raw fiber. Just whatever you can imagine can just about be done. I love it. I really do. And I hold on to that in the times where I'm feeling completely overwhelmed and feel like I'll never spin again, which is kind of what this week is looking like right now. But if I can get through some articles and I can get through the marking, then no problem, no problem at all. Yeah, so that's pretty much where I'm at. I haven't really had a chance to do much else simply because of how much time I've, uh, I've had to spend on other pieces of my life and making a living, but we all have to do that. So yeah, it's, I never really realized what it's like when you're your own boss. You don't really stop working, but that's okay. I will get through it. So we're almost at the end of level four. And like I said last time, even though dyeing has been removed from the curriculum of the Master Spinner program, I do want to talk about it in this level because it's acid dyeing. And the point I want to make here is that you don't need a program like the Master Spinner program to learn how to throw color at yarn. You really don't. There are lots of really great resources out there. Ashford has acid dyes. Uh, There's a whole bunch of other... Jacquard. Jacquard has lots of acid dyes. Their instructions are really clear. There are lots of books out there. There are lots of tutorials on the internet about how to do acid dyeing. So don't be afraid of it. Acid dyes are easy. You know, they, they, they don't take any crazy chemicals, like, like possibly nature dyeing really, you can get away with white vinegar, super easy to do. You still probably because again, acid dyes are, you know, there, there are some food safe dyes that are acid dyes like food coloring and Kool-Aid. But as a general rule, you'd still want to keep separate pots and things for your dyeing than you do for your cooking. But they are easy. Now, there's one caveat to that. Yes, you can throw color at yarn, but if you want to be repeatable and you want to create uh, a color that makes a lot of sense or that that you you can make again, then you want to do some math. And honestly, the math can be kind of fun. And and don't, yeah, I hear you laughing out there. (laughs) I I do. (laughs) But dye math can be fun. So there's there's several versions of dye math. The first is you can make your own colors. And in level four, we did this by creating a color wheel. So we chose, we had our three primary colors, red, yellow, and blue. And from there, we created a color wheel of secondary and tertiary colors, as well as the primaries. So red, red, orange, orange, yellow, orange, yellow, and et cetera, et cetera, and so on around the wheel. Something to remember is that some colors are, in terms of their values, quite a bit stronger than others. And it also depends on the dye that you use. In the ashford dyes, which is what we used in level four, the red is significantly stronger than the yellow. So our red and our red-orange were really, really close in color. And our orange was really red. And our yellow-orange was more red than yellow Still, I mean, it still went that way, but the yellow just was not striking the same way the red was. So our color wheel was based on percentages. So uh, red-orange would be 75% red, 25% yellow. That doesn't always work, just like it didn't always work in the visual blending in level two. But it depends on the dye as well. So you can play with it. So there's your math there. If you're doing a a color wheel and you want to see how your colors strike, then your, your red orange is 75% red, 25% yellow. Your orange is 50-50 and your yellow orange is 75% yellow, 25% red. And it would be an interesting experiment to do to play with different types of dyes to see how, how they, they differ. Another thing you can do is vary your depth of shade. Depth of shade is based on the strength of your dye stock. So if you have a 1% dye stock solution, so one gram of powder in, I think it's a hundred milliliters of water, is a 1% dye stock solution, then you can vary your depth of shade. Now, there's a there's quite a bit of math and I'm not going to go into it in the podcast because that's just too complex. There's, again, lots of tutorials, lots of books out there about this. But the fun part of varying your depth of shade is because you get a a gradient in a single color. And so we had to do this. I did it with blue and for our depth of shade, we did depth of shade of 0.1, 0.5 and then 1, 2, 3, 4 and 5 or no, I lied, 0.1, 0.5, 1, 1.5, 2, 3, 4, and 5. So it was an eight-step gradient. Now, I can tell you there is not much difference between uh, after you get past like one and a half. I mean, yes, your 0.1 is quite light. Your 0.5 is a bit darker. But as soon as you get up into like twos and threes and fours, and fives, like th- there's really not much difference. There's really no point in wasting your dye stock on that. You know, go to a maximum of like maybe three and you'll have a nice, nice dark color. So we had to do a little project with this. And I chose to do a little Victor- a Victorian lace collar that was in, I think, spin-off. One issue of spin-off. And uh, it turned out really, really lovely and it really did show off the gradient. But again, those last few colors, there just was nothing there, right? There just wasn't any difference. Another thing you can do is vary the time spent in solution. And again, might not be worth your while because, because of the way acid dyes strike the time in solution doesn't make a massive difference in the color. So these are all variables that you can use and play with when you're playing with acid dyes. Now in level four, when we did this, Kara and I, we brought silk to class. And apparently we were among the first people ever to take level four to bring silk to class because it was not something that the instructor was prepared for. So silk has to be dyed at a lower temperature than wool. And so because, you know, it just said bring a protein fiber and we decided to bring silk, we sacrificed some of the luster of our silk just so that the rest of the class could have, you know, the appropriate um, dye. It was fine. It still looks pretty, all all of our yarns. So just something to keep in mind that different fibers may need a different temperature so that's my little piece about throwing color at yarn especially protein yarns with acid dyes obviously cellulose fibers whole other ball game, and we'll get into that in level five once we get there but that will be a while away we are finishing up level four in the next episode I will talk about my final project which was equal parts great And not so good. But we'll cover that in the next episode. Fibre notes. I almost finished the mitts. Really, really almost. I am probably four or five rows of ribbing away from getting to the top of the mitten. And then I just have ribbing on the thumb, which is like maybe 10 rows. And then it's done weaving the ends, wash and block, and I have a new pair of fingerless mittens. I got so close. <laughs> but again, uh, priorities. I did sit when when my leg was really, really bad on Saturday. I did sit for quite a while and just sort of knit and baby my leg a little bit but but again Sunday firewood not much time to sit and knit but I am close and that is priority because then there's one less knitting project that is uh, whispering to me (laughs) Uh, and they're pretty and uh, I would really like to have them for Christmas that'd be nice I also did a couple more rows on my wedding shawl. Oh my goodness gracious. The This last chart is relatively simple in terms of patterning. The rows are just really, really long. So I, I did a couple of rows and I'm getting there. But I have reached the, the point of maximum projects. So what do I have besides the mitts and the shawl? Well, right now I am working on a queen-sized blanket knit on five millimeter needles. I have maybe eight inches of that. Yeah, that's gonna be a while. I have two shawls that I'm working on. One of them I'm designing. The other one is relatively complex and the chart is written quite a bit differently than I'm used to. The designer is Danish which may or may not have anything to do with it, but uh, the chart, it's not that the pattern is challenging, it's that reading the chart is challenging. So I kind of need brain power for that. The other shawl is one that I'm designing. So again, lots of brain power. And yeah, that's the one where I have to figure out how to treat the cable in the border so that it ends nicely. And I've been mulling that over for months and I still haven't come up with a solution. And I also started another hand towel. So that's, there's, there's a, one small project in there and two projects that are, you know, could be completed in relatively short time and one that really can't. And then there's my spinning. I've got a project on every single one of my wheels. I've got one on the traditional, one on the lendrum, one on the Hansen, although I haven't started that yet. I just sort of put fiber in a bag and brought it home. I could probably not start that. And then one on the electric eel wheel nano. I also have two spindle projects that are actively in hiatus, (laughs) simply because that's a thing. And of course, my um, my spindle that I keep in my purse all the time, although I don't really count that because that's for waiting in lines and such things. Honestly, the low hanging fruit of this whole list besides the mittens is the wedding shawl, shockingly, and uh, the spinning project on the traditional. And then if I can get those two done, then after that, it'll be one of the shawls. I don't know if I'll prioritize the one I'm designing or the one That has the weird chart. I'd have to probably put them both out and say, okay, which one is closer to being finished. And then, in terms of spinning projects, honestly, it's probably the Lendrum project. Because even though that's 160 grams, it's right there and it's started. And even if I can get one bobbin done, that would make me happy. So, yeah that's what I'm working on I I mean I do think about casting on something new but I would feel a lot better if I could get some of these other things off my plate There there is something to be said for this whole idea of St. Distaff's Day where you know you, you clean off or or prioritize different projects but St. Distaff's Day you're supposed to have your bobbins clean to start the new year and I I'm feeling that, you know, I'm feeling that we're headed into a whole new decade. And can, can anybody believe that, you know, the year 2000 was 20 years ago already? Like that baffles me. It really does. I graduated university that long ago. It's crazy. But it, it does make sense, you know, to, to sort of have a fresh start in the new year, even though it's just another day. And I recognize that. But yeah, I think even approaching the new year with a plan to get some of these things completed in 2020 would make me feel better. Cranking on the fiber side. I'm not sure there's much point in recording this segment this week because I didn't manage to get any cranking done at all. I have kind of a new setup for the auto knitter. We, uh, we ended up with this um, it's this thing from Ikea. It's kind of like a, a stand or a desk leg but it's a triangle. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway it, uh, it works really well to clamp the auto knitter onto because it's pretty stable. The only downside to it is that it doesn't get the the yarn cones in the right spot. So I have to sort that out. But I don't think that would be a difficult retrofit at all. So I'm thinking that's going to be a good place for the auto knitter to sit. I just need to find time to work on it and work with it. I said I was going to or was going to try to do attention exercise during the open house. Didn't happen. Uh, but I'd still want to do that. I think that will be a, a really good exercise for me in just figuring out how the auto knitter works and th- the, those different tension settings. So that'll happen. And I think the auto knitter will be one of my priorities coming up in the next year, in 2020. By the end of 2020, I hope to be making socks on that auto knitter, which means that I need to prioritize learning how it works. But the next two weeks, nothing's going to happen there. So yeah, we'll see. I'll still record the segment because I think it's, it's like, by the wayside, it's a way of keeping me honest about what I'm working on and, and, you know, what I'm able to accomplish in a a two-week period. But don't expect many updates before January. By the Wayside I really had hoped this past weekend to get some stuff done on the accolade but we spent a bit too much time out of the house and the days are... <laughs> We're a week away from solstice. It's, uh, the days are getting really short. So between all of the health stuff I had to do for my dodgy leg on Saturday and getting the firewood on Sunday, it left no time with daylight to work on the accolade. But next week is Christmas and I will be home during the day and I can't write articles and mark workbooks and do all of that stuff all the time. So there will be some time spent on the accolade over the next two weeks and then there will be an update. Maybe I'll move the Q-snaps. We'll find out. Thank you for joining me for episode 73. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 74 on December 29th, 2019. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion on Facebook or Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at bythefiberside, that's F-I-B-R-E, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.